0: We're going to to start tonight in the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to continue in sort of the vein that we've been in for a few Wednesday nights. We're going to Hebrews chapter 11, and we've been looking at this general subject, so this is kind of a topical series really, this general subject of our, our role, our responsibility, our as citizenship being a Christian do we have do we even have any responsibilities uh, to our country we know we have responsibilities to God we have responsibilities to our family we have responsibilities occupationally we have responsibilities to our church as a is a citizen do we have any responsibility to our country and this matter of civil authority—is uh, there ever a time, young person, think about this? Is there ever a time, as a Christian, that we might have to um, disobey government in order to obey God? I mean, are those does that possibility exist? And uh, we've, we've this is not new for us. We've covered this subject over the years a number of times, but. I think it's really relevant right now um, as we witness the breakdown of civil uh, discourse and civil conduct in our society, you know, what, at what point do, do we, uh, what can we do? How might we respond? So that's kind of the purpose of these lessons and if you haven't been here for all of them, you can catch them online. Uh, so I'm going to begin in Hebrews chapter 11 and let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Again, so good to see you this evening. Glad that we can assemble and look into the Word of God together. We'll just read one verse at this time, and this will just be kind of where we'll begin. Hebrews 11 and verse 23. This is that great chapter about faith and the role of faith and some of the men and women of great faith of the past. The writer of Hebrews uses that to encourage us in our faith life verse 23 by faith moses when he was born was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child they were not afraid of the king's commandment so let's have prayer all right father thank you again for the opportunity to get into your word together please help us tonight to be able to understand your truth, help us to uh, rightly divide the Word of God, help us Lord to uh, be led by the Spirit of God in understanding the Word of God, and we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this is talking about, it's going to begin here in verse 23, talking about Moses, by faith Moses in verse 24, and just continues down talking about Moses. But in verse 23, it begins by talking about the faith of Moses' parents. Amram was his dad, Jochebed was his mom. And it says in verse 23, By faith, because they saw he was a proper child, they hid him for three months, months was hidden by his parents. And look at the last part of verse 23. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now that's an interesting thing to think about in relation to our topic. In other words, the, the decree, the commandment of the government. It was Egypt was the government. The Pharaoh, which is a general word for a king. It's not just a word for an individual king. But the general word they used for the king was Pharaoh. And there was a decree. Now think about this. There was a decree by the government that every male child born to Jewish parents every baby Jewish baby born that was a male would be killed I mean, that was like a an edict or that was like a a commandment we would say an executive order in our culture so here you are you're a young family and um, your wife is with child she already knows before the baby's born the king has declared that you're to kill that baby but they were not afraid of the king's commandment and they spared the life of the child that would become one of the greatest leaders of all time Moses now here's the question was it okay for them to disobey the king's commandment? And I, I want you to think about it. Because there are many people, If you, if we'll go back to it a little later uh, this evening, but there are many people who would take Romans 13.1 that says we're all to be subject to the higher powers for there's no power except that be of God. They would take that to mean that any time the king says do something, that we have to do it. Now, right now, we don't have to make these kinds of decisions very often anyway. But the day may be coming when we have to. And I think as Christians, we ought to be thinking through, you know, what if, some what if scenarios. Now, Exodus chapter 1, I don't think we'll even turn to that. But that's where we read about this decree by the king of Egypt. And there's no, we don't know definitely who wrote this book, the book of Hebrews. Many people think that perhaps Paul wrote it. I I tend to agree with that. But it doesn't say for sure. But whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is commending um, Amram and Jochebed, commending them for their faith to disobey the government. Now, Are you with me so far? So the Bible didn't reprimand them for doing that, didn't call them out. As a matter of fact, they're listed in this great chapter of faith because they had enough faith to know that that child should live. They had enough faith to know that the king's commandment was against God's commandment. And it took great faith to do that. I'm sure if they would have been found out, they would have been in serious trouble. So how do you reconcile what they did right here? How do you reconcile that with the teaching that all authority is to be obeyed with no regard for whether it's truth or law? And the answer is you can't reconcile those two things. You cannot reconcile them. So this may seem like a no-brainer, but, but really, I think it takes thought, I think it takes faith, I think it takes discernment, I think it takes th- thinking, thought, to figure out what is God's will concerning this. We talked about this in Hebrews chapter 13 earlier, where it says not only because of the law, but for conscience sake. That's the language of Hebrews chapter 13. Our conscience helps us to know whether this is what God wants me to do or not. Uh, now we're not talking about laws like, like I, th- I think I said last time. If I'm if I'm flying down Parkway Drive at 25 miles an hour, and they pull me over, I'm not even going to argue because it's a 20 mile an hour speed limit. I'm not even going to argue with them. I'm not going to make up some story. I'll just say, um, send me the bill, right? That's because I because to me they're not asking me to disobey a commandment of God. Are you with me? They're not asking me, they're just asking me to obey the, the commandments of man. That, that does not, it doesn't, it doesn't cause any, it doesn't call any conflict to my faith to keep the speed limit. But other issues are not quite so clear. So let's just think about two things tonight. One is the Bible and that's the most important thing. What is, we're going to look at some verses in the Bible. But also think about history and how those two things work together. Now, there's not a place, let's go, just take our Bibles and go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 9, which is just after uh, Noah's cruise has come to an end and uh, the waters are receding and life is going to resume on planet Earth. And uh, Genesis chapter 9. There's, 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 uh, God began to give some instructions to, to, and I just want to look at a spe- couple of verses here Genesis chapter 9 and verse um, let's just look at one verse, verse 6 because I, I want to just use this because a lot of people believe this is the first record of human government in the Bible the first recorded example of human government Genesis chapter nine and verse six says, "Whoso sheddeth man's blood, when a person kills another person, by man shall his blood be shed. He will also he will be he he will be killed. For in the image of God made he man. So, built into that little verse is it doesn't say it's about government, but built into that little verse are several important things related to government. Number one, man is to be governed by laws." this was the law this is one of God's laws if a man kills someone shedding his blood then that he will get the same punishment himself so you have man is to be governed by laws and and true justice which is what you should have in good government true justice is governed based upon laws now again much more after this, and when you get into the Pentateuch, when you get into the laws of Moses, when you get into the various uh, instructions to the, to the nation of Israel, that, those are laws that would govern that nation, there's much more said. But the point is, God ordained government. Don't, this is just very simple base. God ordained government to protect man and to protect life and property you'll find this throughout the Bible we've re- we read this in he- uh, Romans 13 the purpose of government is to repress evil to to put down repress evil doing and to reward virtue or reward goodness that's what government God's government is to do now imagine just think about this one verse here in Genesis 9 and verse 6 and imagine life, imagine life without laws and without law enforcement. Can you imagine what it would be like? By the way, that's the way some people want it in America today no law enforcement, defund the police, all that sort of thing. It would be chaos, it would be confusion, it would be evil, it would be dangerous. So, human government is to create laws to protect people. Human government is to write laws create laws the legislative branch of our government should be making laws to protect people and to repress evil not to let I'm, this, it sounds like I'm chasing a rabbit or getting on a soapbox I'm not but government should not be there to let evil run rampant you know to allow to allow riding in the streets that's not the purpose of government government is to protect people now I've looked here at this example but let's just think about we're talking about we're talking about God's word and history. Let's think about Israel's history. Israel was a unique situation because Israel, unlike any other nation that has ever existed, Israel was was originated by God. Right? Found one God took one man, Abram, living in the Ur of the Chaldees, called him and said and said, I've got, I've got a place for you, uh, and you've never been there. I'll show you when you get there, and whenever, and, I, and we're gonna, I'm going to give you this land. It's the land of Israel, where they, which they occupy now. It was an independent nation. So think of Israel, not just as a religious people, but think of Israel as a nation. And how was Israel governed? I feel like I'm giving more of a history lesson And a civics lesson than a Bible lesson but it is Bible it would be governed by God and his laws that's are you with me this is God's government he's got a group of people they're gonna be governed by his laws now they insisted on having a king right God didn't want them to have a king God was gonna be their leader they wanted they wanted to be like all the other nations So God gave them a king. And the king was expected to live by God's laws. Right? And what happened when the king did not obey God's laws? God removed him from being a king. And God found a man after his own heart. And David became the king. So you have a a nation governed by laws, God's laws, They have a king, and um, the kings weren't always good. Matter of fact, generally the kings were not good. But here's another another bit of Bible history that plays into our our discussion, and that is this. Uh, Sometimes when the kings weren't good, God would send a man of God to go talk to them. Right? I mean, we know how that God sent... um, Elijah the prophet to go see Ahab and declare unto him his wickedness, and we we read in the Bible where King Hezekiah, when he was he consulted Isaiah the prophet for wisdom. So you have you have a kings, you have leaders, you have God's law, you have God's people having a say in some of that in the Bible. Even let's go to Second Samuel chapter twenty three. This is all kind of just. Um, Laying the foundation for what we're going to talk about tonight. God even gave instruction concerning the qualifications of rulers. In 2 Samuel 23, uh, these are the last words of David. David the king. In 2 Samuel 23 and verse 2, says, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me. God's word is speaking through David, and his word was in my tongue. By the way, often these biblical writers knew they were speaking under inspiration of God. They knew it wasn't just them. God was leading them. Verse 3, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun ariseth. So, So God gave this instruction concerning how rulers should be qualified. Now, in all of these things, let's just kind of throw all this together. And all these things we've talked about so far, we've, we've seen this. Man is to be governed by laws. Right? This is the biblical pattern. And when there are people who are leaders, those kings are to be governed by laws. And, and you may be able to show this to me, and I'm not being sarcastic... But I can't think of examples where God's people were being required to obey commands that were not based on some law or commands that would be in conflict with God's law. I can't remember those things in the Bible. Nor do I remember in the Bible where you know, kings could just be looked at as tyrants without being accountable for their actions. We, I don't think we see that in the Bible. Now that's all Old Testament. But let's, turn, let's think about the New Testament for a little bit. Now, the nation of Israel... See what? The nation of Israel... Them crybabies. The nation of Israel existed in the Old Testament, but they also existed in the New Testament, right? So, in the New Testament, the nation of Israel, it picks up in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Israel there is subject to the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire governed much of the known world at that time. And even we, haven't even we have this example, I'm just looking at Bible and history. We have this example where John the Baptist confronted the king because of his immoral activity, right? You know, these people who say separation of church and state, that means that the church should never meddle with the government. That's not what that means, separation of church and state, as given in a letter by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists. It wasn't even in the Constitution. When he talked about separation of church and state, it was about how the government was not to meddle in the churches. And so here we have the Baptist preachers named John. Middle name was D, last name Baptist. John the Baptist is confronting the king about his activity. Now John was beheaded because of that so you have this you have the role of these Christians these Bible believers you have the role of government and there's so here we are as New Testament Christians we're not a part of the nation of Israel how are we to relate to the government we live in a fallen world that is governed by fallen leaders now I want you to go back with me if you would to Romans 13 and I say back because we were there last time we met on a Wednesday night and had this Bible study. It was before, uh, that was before we had our meeting uh, with Brother Locke. But go to Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. I just want to look at a verse here. And so we're talking about this subject of uh, submission to authority and the role of government. Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. And we talked about in that meeting on that Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago that this, this is not talking about just every ruler. It's talking about government. The institution of government was ordered, arranged, ordered by God. And I want you to call your attention to the word subject in verse 1. Let every soul be subject. And the word that's translated as subject is a very common word in the New Testament. The Greek word is hupo tasso. And it really means to be arranged under, to place yourself under, to be in subordination to, to submit to. Every one of us are to be under authority. And, and we talked about this on that Wednesday night. Even the president's under authority. I'm under authority. Husbands who are to be leaders in the home, they're under authority. Everybody's under authority. But is that authority to be without question? Is it to be absolute? And we talked the other night about how it's not. Now this, let me just give you a few other examples. The same word that's translated here as to be subject is the word that's used in Ephesians where it says that that wives are to be submissive or subject to their husbands. It's the same word that's used when it talks about children being under their parents or even about Jesus who was subject to Mary and Joseph. It's the same word that's used that's talking about how church members are to be subject to their pastor. All these examples of authority. You have government authority, you have authority in the home, authority with the husband, authority over children uh, for parents, authority in the church. But here's the question. Are, do any of these commands mean absolute authority, unconditional authority? What do you think? No, they don't. None of them do. A wife does not have to submit to her husband if he's abusing her. A church does not have to be subject to a pastor who is abusing them, doctrinal error or whatever the case may be. They don't have to do that and the government is the same words used to describe the government and i'm i know i'm kind of really pushing on this but i think we need to understand that there may come a time when we're called upon to de- decide what am i to do am i to obey god or obey this rule or obey this man and it's and and you say well i'm never going to have to think about that you may have to think about it more quickly than you uh, realize, I'm not being alarmist, I'm just saying we ought to think about this and what might be a legitimate reason to resist authority, as I said if a wife has a husband that's been abusive physically abusive and, and uh, hurting her or asking her, I'm, one time I had a lady, and I, this was many many years ago and uh, this family's not even together anymore but I had a woman that was in our church, wanted to know whether she should you know, sub, be subject to some things her husband wanted to do and t- places he wanted to take her that would violate many things about a relationship with God. And I said, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. So, I mean, if a, if a dad says to his teenage son, you know, here, here I'm going to give you a, a Walmart bag and a 38 special and I want you to go in go into the bank with a mask on they'll never even realize what's going on (laughs) and come out with a bag full of money now do you think the kid is obligated to do that and I say no I don't think a kid is obligated to do that in the same way if a government if a government is asking us to do things that violate our Christian conscience our Christian testimony then they cease to be worthy of us submitting just unconditionally to them. Okay, let's, let's give me, let me give you another hypothetical. Let's imagine that you're living in Germany during the reign of Adolf Hitler. Let's just imagine that. You're an adult, you're living in that, and maybe you're even working in the government, you're living for the government, whatever. And a part of your... The, the law comes out that a part of what you have to do today is you have to go out and exterminate Jews. You have to go out and kill this bunch of Jewish people, innocent people, because, just because of their religion. Okay, are you obligated to do that? Stay with me. Are you obligated to do that? Would you, you say, well, I, I don't really think I should, but I have to because he's the king. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. Matter of fact, I would think that if I lived in Nazi Germany and I was a Christian I would be looking for ways to weaken his reign and ways to to bring some measure of freedom and liberty and godliness consciousness to our society. And yet we have people around us even Christians even pastors who say that that would be wrong to do. There are times Biblically, this is not my, I'm not trying to just give you my opinion, I'm not just trying to be rebellious. Biblically, there are times when civil law should be resisted, but not based on our personal convenience, not based on our personal preference, but based on God's law, based on biblical principles, based upon our conscience being directed by our relationship with God. Indulge me for a few moments, and I want to talk a little bit about American history. You know, because America, and I hope everyone here that's old enough to understand history would know this, but this is a most unique, they call it an experiment. This is a most unique country, unusual country, for a number of reasons. And. I'm hesitant even to talk about this not because it's not important not because I don't believe it because it may just be that everybody knows it so well it doesn't matter but this country began to be settled with groups from Europe you know the Spanish came the French came the English came and the first English settlement was in Jamestown which is now Virginia 1607 I've been there. It's a nice place to go, Jamestown. And um, a little bit later, that's uh, 13 years later, I think exact, 1620, the pilgrims came. They they were also English. I'm going to give you a test on this after a while, young people. They were also English, but they had fled England because of persecution and went to Holland. But from Holland, they came here in 1620, Plymouth Rock the pilgrims came and so that's in the early 1600s by the mid 1700s there were about two million colonists in 13 different colonies and these are all people who came to this country settled this country they didn't all agree in their in their government that's not important for what we're talking about tonight and so what makes America unique is we were formed because we decided to sever our relationship with Britain, with the mother country, with England. And we're going to be a nation unto ourselves. Now, was that an act of rebellion? Did they have a legitimate reason to do that? And that's but that's how we were formed. We declared our independence. And that was not easy to declare our independence and it was not easy to win our independence. It was quite a lengthy war. But, but I want to talk to you for a little bit, because it all applies to this subject, about s- some things that led up to declaring our independence. Um, when, I, when Based on what I read, some people seem to think that the main event that happened that caused the Revolutionary War, the War for Independence, was the Boston Tea Party. And the Boston Tea Party was a factor, but it was not the initial factor. It was not even a major factor. It was just kind of the thing, that the tipping point, maybe was what we would say. Uh, there are many other offenses. Now, keep in mind what we're talking about. This is not a history lesson. There are many other offenses by the government, of, by the country of England, that caused these patriots to believe that they had a legitimate right to begin their own country it didn't just happen over one thing you know sometimes people act like you know we need to be up in arms and take our take back our country because they're asking us to wear masks well I, whether you like or dislike masks that's that's not. this is not a good example of that <laughs> because th- there were many things that the, the English government did and uh, they it was more about property rights. It was more about the right to defend your family, to defend yourself. Um, at the end of the French and Indian War, that would have been 1763, uh, the end of the French and Indian War, the British, Now this, I say this because this is the first big thing. This, this really got on the radar of the colonists. After the war was over, the British proclaimed that no one in the colonies could cross over the Appalachian mountain range to the west. No one. To the west. And if you already built on the western side of the Appalachians, you had to relocate and come back to the east. Now, that was a big thing to the colonists. Who are those people way over there telling me where I can build my house? You follow me? So this was, I mean, this was uh, 13 years, if I'm thinking right. 13 years before the Declaration of Independence. So what happened after that? You young people, you'll still... Cause those memory, those his, history juices to start to flow. You had the Stamp Act. You had the Quartering Act. To me, one of the most offensive things the British said was, first of all, they have a standing army over here, but the second thing is, if our, if our military needs a place to stay, you're obligated to give them room and board. It's called the Quartering Act. And people are saying, now they're, they're taxing our sugar, they're taxing our tea, they're taxing our stamps. That means anything, any literature purchase, they're, stamped. they're taxing that. They're taxing any, you can't have make your own currency between the different uh, states. We call them states, they call them colonies. And then finally this Tea Act. And the thing that made the Tea Act so offensive is... is It wasn't just the tea that they had to pay a tax on. It was the fact that Britain said you could not trade with anyone else for your tea but the East India Company. They had a monopoly on it. So now they're telling you, from way over there, they're telling you who you can and cannot buy from, all this kinds of stuff. So all this is going on for 13 years. And the final straw was when the redcoats the british army who were a standing army in boston when they decided that they were going to go to lexington and concord and retrieve the guns the milit- the guns the ammo From the colonists. Now you think about this. What would you have done? And again we're not just talking about. We're not just talking about. uh, Taxation without representation. We're talking about that. But that's not the main thing. We're talking about the right to defend your family. The right to bear arms. The right to have ownership. The right to live where you want to live. All these things. And that's why I think. We need to think about this through in the Bible. These things, they consider to be God-given rights, certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. These rights don't come from government. That's what they said. These rights come from God. God gave us the right to own property. God gave us the right to uh, defend ourselves. And when you start taking away those rights, they said, you've stepped over the line. You've stepped over a line that we cannot go along with now the reason I take all the time to go through that is because that's what this whole passage is about About when do we resist government are there ever times we ought to resist government and so they decided enough was enough and that was when the shot was fired the hurt was heard around the world and that began the Revolutionary War and the Declaration of Independence and that war lasted for eight long years. When you th- I think about, that, think about that today. Eight years of war would be one thing if you were in a civil war in the whole country or if you were in Afghanistan, or, but eight years of war over in that little strip of land on the eastern part of the United States. We know it now. So I, I, I think it's important First of all, I think it's important to know our history. I think it matters. I think it's a good thing. I don't, think it's, I don't think that it's what we ought to preach on all the time. But it is a lesson in this matter of civil disobedience. And because, listen, don't misunderstand me. Because the colonists did it does not make it right. Unless the colonists did it for the right reason. And I believe they did it for the right reason. Just like in this country. If they were to start confiscating our weapons I'm telling you all of a sudden our patriotism is going to go to another level most of us you say that would never happen I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on that I wouldn't count on that if they were by the way this is this is just a personal maybe it's a pet peeve I'll just I'll just tell you how I feel about it I think one of the most important issues that has never been resolved and ought to be resolved in our state, in our country is this. And if you, get, if you wanna get serious about something and campaign on something and make sure this happens, please take this on as a project. I think one of the most evil taxes there is, is real estate taxes. And the reason is because you may have your house paid for for 20 years, debt free and yet if you don't pay your real estate taxes they can come get that from you. I think that is as wicked and evil as anything there is and that's the kind of stuff that would cause people to think is this really right what they're doing because what they're doing is they're, there's a way to prevent you from really owning your own property. So there's for what it's worth. Now let me just talk about this for a moment. and this. I think think it's good for us, and I, I know, I mean, you know me, I preach several times a week, and I preach the Bible, and we go verse by verse. I'm not just off, I don't do this stuff all the time, but I think this stuff matters. I think it's important, especially when you look at what is going on in our country. There is a growing sentiment that's been gaining momentum over the course of decades by people who do not want, God to have a part in our society and I think that is at the heart of all of these concerns that we're seeing and it didn't happen overnight I I know sometimes we think that America's been around a long time but America has not I mean when I was born America was only about 170 years old that's that's pretty young for a country wouldn't you say and so, what responsibility, young person? What responsibility do you have? What responsibility do I have, as God's children, of citizens of this republic? I think there's a certain stewardship that we ought to consider when we think about our citizenship in this nation. Who, who we're going to pass it on to? What kind of country are they going to? Are we going to pass on to our children? What should we do? Obviously, we should pray. We should pray, pray, pray. Pray for our country. We've been instructed to pray for our leaders. Pray for revival. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be sad? And I, I know this sounds like an exaggeration. Wouldn't it be sad, though, that some of these young people who are sitting here right now listening to every word I'm saying, if they grew up in a socialistic country, you say that could never happen. Don't think for a moment that couldn't happen. We need to pray. Number two, we need to evangelize. We need to give the gospel to people. I mean, these people who are acting like lost people, you know why they do that? Because they're lost. They don't know the Lord. We need to get the gospel out. We need to support the work of evangelism and missions. But thirdly, we need to be involved in learning, being educated about our country and, and how we might turn our nation back in the right direction. I'm telling you. I think we have, I think I mentioned this in another sermon, we've got our plate full. being a Just being a Christian and being a parent, being a student in school, having a job and serving in a ministry, our plates are full. But one of the greatest things we could do for the future of America is try to elect people that believe like we believe. And, some, and too many, for too long, I think Christians have said, well, I just don't want to get involved in that, I'm Some of them don't even vote. If you don't vote, you ought to be taken to a woodshed. (laughs) And if you don't know what happens at the woodshed, ask Brother Cook, he knows what happens. (laughs) We've been given a great gift in this country. I know I said this last time I taught on this, but I think one of the greatest downfalls of our country is apathy just not really caring, doesn't think it's that important. You know, we've, America's been such a great place, but some of us that have been around a while, we realize we're losing a lot in a hurry. So I think we ought to get involved. I, you know, I was thinking about a quote today that uh, Benjamin Franklin was asked once, what kind of country this is? He was one of the founding fathers, of course. What kind of country is this? And he, his quote, his famous quote was, a republic if you can keep it it doesn't just it's kind of like I was talking about Sunday night things don't get better naturally they naturally decline it's the natural course of things for things to weaken and decline it takes work and maintenance to keep them up and we really need to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbors ourselves and a part of that is to try to do what's good for other people, right? And prayer is one of those things, and as I said, and, and uh, giving out the gospel, reaching, you know, I was, a I'll give you a little testimony and I'm finished. We graduated from high school in 1972. In the late 60s, when I was, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade. Um, that was the hippie culture, hippie generation. The war in Vietnam was going on. The, the shootings at Kent State University. These things were going on. A lot of rebellion, and I was I was one of those rebels. I mean, we would just have these sit-ins at high school. That was a cool thing then. You just sit you just occupy a stairway or whatever and you're kind of protesting what's going on. I, was, I say all that to say I wasn't a patriot. I said, I'm sad to say I didn't love our country. I didn't, I, I didn't hate America, I just didn't care. What I cared about was me. But you know, what, you know what turned me into a patriot? It happened after I got saved. And I began to understand what a great gift we'd been given in this nation. A great gift and how wrong it would be not to be concerned about our heritage about our history and about our responsibility and I know we're just one congregation and one little tiny part of the earth but I'll tell you we need to take this stewardship seriously and we don't need to be just rebels against every law that comes along no we need to be we need to oh, Peter said it we're to obey The laws of man. We're to obey those laws. But when those laws conflict with God's law, then we have to ask ourselves, what is the higher law? The higher law, the more valuable, the more, and the answer to that question is God's law. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, please. Our Father, as we pray this evening, Lord, I just thank you for um, the challenge, really, the challenge to read your word and apply your word to our lives and, and sort through these things, to work through these sometimes not easy questions. And Lord, you know our tendency is if it's not hurting us today, then it must not exist. But we know That that's not wisdom, Lord. We know there there are many things going on in our world, in our country, that are not good for America, they're not good for our families, they're not good for our children, our grandchildren, not good for society. So help us to have wisdom, Lord. Help us to, um, to know our place, our responsibility. We pray for that. We pray for America. We pray Lord, that you might have mercy on us. We pray for revival, spiritual awakening in our country. Oh God, we need you so much. Forgive us for being so careless, negligent about our responsibility to stand in the gap and pray.